Very good morning, Hope Church Sittingbourne. Thrilled to learn that you're able to to meet together in person after all, all this time. And I do commend you for sticking with it all and, and toughing it out. And, and here you are together, having pressed through, persevering. I think that's fantastic. Uh, Trish and I really look forward to being able to come amongst you soon and, and uh, there's nothing that beats face to face. Thank God for Zoom but I think we're all uh, looking forward to those personal exchanges. But enough of that. Uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. God has poured out through his son the, the gift of the Holy Spirit on his church and I, I, I want to read very quickly a, a, a scripture here. Uh, Jesus' words he says in Acts 1, 7, Jesus said to his disciples, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. This is Pentecost Sunday. It marks the momentous turning point in salvation history when God comes and makes human beings his tabernacle, his temple on the earth. Where do you go to, to meet with Christ, to tangibly know and experience his presence and the powers of the age to come? It's in the church. It's in Hope Church, Sittingbourne. And... And uh, just a little earlier, Jesus says, uh, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. This is important. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised. You will be drenched with the Holy Spirit. This is so crucial, and, and I think it's become increasingly neglected in the ranks of the church. It's become sort of yesterday's news, charismatic renewals, restoration of the church, all these things that used to be exciting. We've become sort of a bit safe and respectable. And I want to pray, if you'll let me, that God would come and re-empower us, reinvigorate us and re-excite us about the doctrine of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, if you're not baptised in the Holy Spirit, to get baptised in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with his presence, to let the power of Christ transform your life and therefore transform your, your community. Uh, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for these dear people. I thank you for their solidarity, for their zeal for you, their love for one another. I thank you, Father, that we're, we're not where we are by chance, that we're part of your sovereign purpose. And I want to pray right now, and, and during this time of worship together, fellowship together, I pray for the tangible sense of your presence. I pray as we sing, as we listen, as we talk to one another, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be thick and heavy amongst us, Father. I, I pray right now as I'm praying, Father, I pray you will come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and quicken us again. Create that holy thirst. Lord, we want to drink deeply of you from the well of salvation. Father, come and fill us and thrill us, Father. And uh, 
I pray for Sittingbourne and, and the regions around. I pray for a sovereign move of God. And I pray, Father, you'll so drench us with your presence that we are part of this, that we help spur this into being, Father. So bless Hope Church Sittingbourne this morning is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to have Dave King? He's from uh, New Life Church in Tunbridge Wells. He's sort of part of the, the team, along with Adam Voke, who we heard from earlier, who support us here as Hope Church City Board until we've uh, uh, grown up and appointed uh, deacons and elders. Those guys are part of our kind of spiritual oversight. And we're part of a family of churches called Relational Mission. Uh, you'll see a couple of banners around, and uh, there's lots of different things that we do together. It's one of the things that we believe is we can do far more together than we can apart, and we're really excited that we're not doing this on our own, but we're actually caught up, not just with relational mission, but churches together in Sydney and actually with Jesus' body, the church, universal across all the nations, every different expression. And that's the thing, really, that Pentecost kind of teaches us, um, is that God's heart is for everyone, everywhere, every day, for all nations, all tribes, not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just Samaria, but actually the ends of the earth. And that's a super exciting thing. And so for you at home, you won't be able to see what I can see, but we can see lots of different types of people uh, from lots of different tribes with lots of different tongues, uh, lots of different ages. Uh, some of us younger, some of us, I won't point anyone, but slightly older um, as well. And, uh, and it's just wonderful to be part of, um, part of what God's doing uh, across the nations. And so uh, we're gathering this morning with literally hundreds of thousands of other believers who are remembering the gift of the Spirit today on Pentecost Sunday. But one of the things I, I saw actually on Twitter this morning, someone reminded a friend of mine up in Wales uh, that Pentecost Sunday isn't just for today, that we actually live in the good of Pentecost Sunday every day. We are a Spirit-filled people. Yeah. We've got Jesus' Spirit, not just one day. It's not just like Christmas where we just, oh, it's, we only get the presents one day. Pentecost, we get the present, the gift the presence rather than the present of Jesus with us by his Holy Spirit every single day, every single moment, helping us to press through, helping us to overcome, helping us to believe when everything else says something different. And uh, if lockdown's taught us anything, um, it's that we need to persevere, don't we? And the other thing it's taught me, I'm not sure about you, but is that we need one another. Um, isolation and loneliness is literally a killer. And, uh, and we're meant to be in community. And community looks like this. It looks like being together, having food together, having fun together, and doing mission together with Jesus right there in the thick of it. And us really taking the lead from him, rather than it saying, Jesus, would you come and bless all the stuff that we're doing? But actually, we look at where Jesus is going. And you don't need to read the Bible for long to see that Jesus is going to the least, the last, and the lost. He's on a mission uh, to grow with God's family as wide as he can with all sorts of different people like you and like me, and that is super, super exciting. Um, so what we're going to do is just read a little verse from the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to get them up. Most of you probably got it on a phone or a tablet. Uh, I'm sure the Apostle Paul, if he was around today, would be fine with you looking up the Bible on a, on a tablet or a device. Okay, we're going to look at Acts 1, and we're going to look at the same verses that actually both Adam and Dave have mentioned this morning. And uh, I'm just going to read it out. It's Acts 1, and we're just going to read uh, verse 8 through, well, just verse 8. And uh, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. Um, interestingly, they're in an upper room. Um, where are we at the moment? We're in an upper room. Uh, when we moved to Costa, uh, when we moved to Costa, when we moved to Singapore as a family three years ago, May the 7th, 2018. 
Um, we, we had the sense that God would have us meet in an upper room. So we were looking at pubs and all sorts of different places. And then uh, we met Chris Hughes, who some of you all know. He's a lead, the worst leader. He's just um, sort of moved on at Sittingbourne Baptist Church. And I literally met Chris just in the corner over there where the Gregory's are sat. And uh, we talked about costs there. And he actually put us in contact with the manager here. Um, and then they... We've been here since, uh, since October 2018, meeting in the upper room at Costa. Every week we pray for healing and for breakthrough, believing that what Jesus did here in this Pentecost moment is what he wants to do every single day. If we would pray in faith in the power of the Spirit, uh, Jesus would display his power through us, through um, his, these little earthen vessels. He would display his glory. And so uh, let's read this. Hopefully that's given you a bit of time. I feel it's given you a bit of time to look it up. Acts 1.8. And so... Jesus says to the disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And all God's people said? Amen. amen. Yeah, amen. And so um, what we're going to do is we've got a little video that we're going to listen to, and it's just picking up on one of the words in there. And what we're going to do in a minute is we're just going to I'm going to share a few thoughts from this. We might need to do that on tables as well. We'll just see how we're doing for time. Um, but what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on each of the words that Jesus says there. There's not many. Um, but the first word I want us to do is we're going to uh, watch a little Bible project video. And it's picking up on the word witness. What is meant by the word witness? And so we're just going to spend a few minutes watching this and hopefully you'll be able to see the video from home. When you hear the word witness, you might think of someone who sees something shocking or important and then shares their testimony with others. The word witness is used like this in the Bible too, but here's what's really fascinating. This word actually helps us understand the entire storyline of scripture. In the Bible, a witness is basically someone who sees something important or amazing. In Hebrew, this person is an aide, and in Greek, a martus. And if this person begins to share what they've seen, we call this bearing witness, in Hebrew, oud, and in Greek, martyreo. So in the story of Ruth, when Boaz buys land from Naomi's family, he calls together witnesses to see the transaction, so that if there's a later dispute about the land, they can bear witness about what they saw. So that's the basic meaning of the word witness. Now, if we follow this idea throughout the Bible, we learn that God wants a group of witnesses, people who see and experience him to ood or represent him to the world. So beginning with the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel witness Yahweh as the powerful king of the nations when he rescues them from slavery. Then he appoints this one nation to bear witness or ood to the rest of the nations about what they experienced. He calls them a kingdom of priests or people who connect all other nations to Yahweh, the true God and king. But there's a big problem. The Israelites aren't good witnesses. In fact, they start worshiping other gods. So God raises up a chief witness, Moses, to ood or bear witness to the people who are supposed to be the real witnesses. When Moses meets with Yahweh on Mount Sinai, he sees and experiences God face to face. When he comes down, he ooods, he bears witness to the people about his experience. He even writes a song as a witness so that they would never forget how God has cared for and rescued them. But as the story goes on, Israel does forget. They fail to truly see God, so they fail as his witnesses. So God raises up prophets who are like Moses to ood, to open their eyes to who their God really is. Like Isaiah, 
He has a vision of God as the cosmic king, and he's sent to Ut to bear witness to the Israel of his day because they're blind, they're corrupt, and they don't recognize God as their king. So Isaiah says that one day God will raise up the ultimate chief witness, a figure called the servant. He will open the eyes of the blind so that they can truly see Yahweh and bear witness to the nations that their God is the king who will rescue the world. And now when we turn to the story of Jesus, we find him claiming to be that servant and witness spoken of by Isaiah. He's the ultimate witness, or in Greek, the martus. Crowds of people witness him saying that he's bringing God's kingdom, that it's here right now through him. They see Jesus healing people, even restoring sight to the blind. Many recognize who he is and respond to his message, but many others still refuse to truly see. Even the nation's leaders won't listen to him. Rather, they kill Jesus for bearing witness to God's kingdom, that is for being a martus. In fact, this is where the word martyr comes from. But then, after Jesus' death, something amazing happens. Jesus' friends see him alive from the dead, and they recognize that he is the divine king, Yahweh himself, who has come to rescue the world. After that, Jesus sends them out to martyreo, that is, to bear witness to the nations, to open their eyes to this risen king who has conquered death and who offers freedom and rescue and the hope of a new creation. And it's this story about Jesus that's been spread all around the world by faithful witnesses. And to this day, when someone hears the story of Jesus and experiences the love of God for all humanity, the most natural thing to do is to simply bear witness. Brilliant, wasn't it good? Um, and so we picked up on the word witness there. I won't say much more about that. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to go back into the text. So Acts 1a. And um, I'm just going to emphasize each word. So we're just going to spend a few minutes doing that. And then at the end of that, uh, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for one another. And we're also going to share communion. And so um, just for those of you at home, um, everyone here has got like, these helpful little communion cups. COVID safe with a wafer in the top. So if you want to examine your little cups on the tables... There's a little wafer in the plastic lid at the top, and then there's a little bit of uh, grape juice. I don't think it's wine in the actual uh, plastic pouch. But if you're at home and you're not prepared to join us in communion, we would encourage you, whilst I'm talking in this next bit, why don't you get some bits and pieces from home? Uh, you can use, uh, you can use uh, some juice, or you can even use water, to be honest, and a bit of bread if you've got that, or even a cracker. Uh, now, I was once in a youth group, uh, where, well, I was once in a, we're chatting with another youth leader, uh, years ago, and he told me about his youth group and how they took communion, and it was donuts and strawberry milkshake. And uh, we were all talking about, is that sacrilegious um, to do that? And we actually decided, well, you wouldn't want to make a habit of it because the Bible is quite clear on bread and wine, um, but and there's a lot of imagery in there. But actually, it's more the practice of us coming together and these things we're representing Jesus, the one who unifies us through His life and through His body, and also through His blood, which was shed for us on the cross. And so as we take communion this morning, we would encourage you to participate at home. Don't worry about your participation needing to be through the right type of leavened bread or the right type of wine from a particular place in Israel, um, but actually just make sure you've got some bits there that re represent those things. So a glass of water and a cracker will be fine. Um, and then we'll take that together. And actually we believe that when we do that, Jesus is actually here with us, unifying us. And I believe actually even over the internet that what we're representing is we're still one, even though we're apart. 
Uh, we don't all need to be together all the time to be unified. Otherwise, the global church wouldn't be unified because there's people in different nations and we'd all be trying to get together all the time. Um, and so it's actually this thing we're connected on a much deeper le level spiritually by God, whether we're together or whether we're apart. So that's super exciting. But let's go back into that. So I hope get yourself some communion bits and pieces. And so Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power. So the word you, who's Jesus speaking to? to? To the disciples. And so we can join the dots up. Jesus is speaking to us. And so Jesus wants our attention. He's saying, you, you will receive something. So Jesus has got something to give to us. He wants to entrust something to us. He wants to literally gift us something. Um, what's he going to give? He's going to give power. Jesus is going to give power from on high. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And so a lot of this, Jesus has already spoke, spoken about the Holy Spirit the night's going. Jesus has already spoken about the Holy Spirit earlier in this text. But what Jesus wants to do is entrust his power to us. We see Jesus in the in the New Testament, going from place to place, bringing hope and healing and life to different people as he's ministering to people. He's causing blind eyes to open. He's causing lame legs to get strength. He's casting out demons. People who are out, not in their right mind, he's, he's setting them in straight in their right mind. Through one encounter, they're going back to their village, completely changed and transformed. They themselves can now bear witness, like we heard in that video. And Jesus wants to entrust that same power, his Holy Spirit, his perfect record before God, to us, his spirit of holiness, that he walked a blameless life. The spirit of Jesus, he wants to literally entrust it, to give it to you and to I as disciples. Wherever you are today, whether you're here in Costa, whether you're at home, whether you're in the nations or in the UK, Jesus has got his gift of his spirit that he wants to give you to empower you to live a slightly different way of life. And so it says that this spirit will come upon us. So it's like something that you will feel. I don't know. If Probably not the best illustration, but when I was about eight, I was mowing the lawn in our back garden, in my mum's back garden. And um, I don't know if you've ever mowed the lawn, but most lawnmowers, unless you're, you've got lots of money and you've got a petrol one, most lawnmowers are electric and they have a cable to it. And the one thing you shouldn't do when you're mowing the lawn is mow the cable. If you mow the cable, then you're going to come into trouble. And um, I should have been supervised. I hope my mum's not watching this, but mum, I should have been supervised. Um, but I, I actually went over the cable, and um, I thought I could just put the cables back together again. And um, I've got a scar on my hand from where I just attempted to put the cables back together again, and the lie went dug into my hand, and I was shaking like this, and, um, and I ma managed to get it off, and I thought, you know, if like an eight-year-old, you don't know what death is, do you really? But I thought I was going to die, but I encountered in that moment power like I had never encountered before. I had been... I was wired into the grid for a few seconds. It felt like eternity. I was shaking and rocking and rolling. And afterwards, I was not right for days afterwards. It was like, I probably still emotionally scarred from that moment. That's why I've got the twitches and the ticks that I've got. But when you encounter power, then you know about it. Don't you? If you has anyone in the room ever met the Queen or, or royalty or someone really famous? You know, we have this sort of power that we entrust to people. But even then, when we meet, encounter power or prestige, we're a little bit in awe, aren't we? A little bit overwhelmed. Um, in that video earlier, they talked about Isaiah, how one of the prophets witnessed to God. And he literally encountered the Most High, the King of all kings. He saw God and he was like, whoa, whoa, is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, I live, dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. 
And, uh, and he was just like, whoa, this God is so powerful. I've seen him and uh, like, it's bringing me to my knees. And so when we encounter power, we know about it. There's something that comes upon us, a sense of awe. And for me, literally, I felt it. And, and the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we see later in these verses that for these guys, it said that like tongues of fire landed upon them and that they began speaking in other languages. And there are manifestations of, of the Spirit. There are things that happen. Sometimes people shake. Sometimes people feel a sense of peace when the Holy Spirit comes into a room. Sometimes it's just a sense of the peace of God, the shalom of heaven that comes to bring all things back together. And so when God enters the room, not that God's not ever really here, but when we begin to, to see and recognize that he's amongst us, there's a sense of holy reverent awe, a sense of that sort of power that actually I think affects us both spiritually but also physically. We, we become settled down. Have you ever picked a scared little puppy up and you just settle it down? Or a young child and you bring them close and you settle them. There's like a sense of power in that moment, isn't it? An ability to change and transform chaos into order. I think that's what God does. That's what God wants to do in our lives. His power is brought to bring something different into our life. Just want to backtrack. It says you will. So the word will, Jesus saying to the disciples, you will receive power. There's a sense there like that word will, it has two sort of different connotations. So that's both the promise, you will. Like you will receive power, it's going to happen. There's an assurance, there's a confidence in that. There's like this is going to happen. We can trust Jesus' words because he's the king of all kings. He's not a liar, he's not a fraud. He's the most trustworthy person that ever lived. And so there's an assurance that you will receive power. And there's also, I think in that, a bit of a command. You, you will receive power. You're going to be open to receiving something. I think that there's a sense that when you, for these disciples, they'd spent three years living with Jesus. Um, I did a little equation a, a while back, mathematically. I like stats and data and things like that. But the amount of time these guys lived with Jesus 24-7 for three years, um, that's a lot of hours. I can't remember off the top of my head how many hours that is. But I figured out that for us as disciples, the amount of hours that we spend together... Um, if we are maybe connecting him to a midweek life group or a house group, and if we're meeting on a Sunday, it's like, what, three hours, maybe four hours a week, and then obviously if we meet people for tea and coffee, Carol's done a lot of meeting people for tea and coffee, she's very good at that. Um, but we may be looking at four or five hours a week, which, you know, when you think 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years, I figured out that you'd need to live for 90 years doing that five hours a week to be able to do what the disciples did with Jesus in three years. And so for us to make disciples like Jesus made disciples, it needs a different mode of meeting, doesn't it? It needs a different way of gathering together. Not just as an event like this. It's great to do an event, but church life is about far more than an event, isn't it? It's about community, about a lifestyle where we're in and out of each other's homes, in and out of each other's lives, encouraging and loving and supporting one another. When we're going through things or when we're celebrating, being there to lift one another up, to celebrate, cheer one another on, to help pick up the pieces when it's literally all falling apart. Whereas when we do that at an event, it's easy, isn't it? We can disappear, disconnect from it. The church isn't a social club that we go to when we're having a good time and we disconnect from when things are going difficult. The church is literally Jesus' body. And when we disconnect from it, we, we miss out on this power that he's wanting to, to trust to us because it's found amongst his people. It's found in the presence of other people. We're literally all like little Jesuses to one another, encouraging one, one another, spurring one another on. To what the church, sort of like how the church works. And so this thing of you will receive, it's sort of like a, both a promise but also a command. It's sort of like being open to put yourself in the positions where you can receive 
the Spirit. Like, the Spirit's with us all the time, of course, but there are certain instances and times when the Spirit manifests itself, and it's often when the church is gathered, when two or three are gathered, there I am right in the middle of them. Some of the most powerful encounters I've ever had with God have been in and amongst God's people, people praying for me, me literally pouring my heart out to Jesus in the presence of other people, but then Jesus turns up and he, and he, he gives you what you need for the next step, for the next season. Very rarely has it been me disconnected from people for weeks and weeks. The only times I've ever done that, I've shriveled up. I've literally shriveled up. I disconnect from the church. I disconnect from other brothers and sisters. You can speak life into my heart and I shrivel up. And I go under. And then I wonder why I have. And then I, I, I rediscover the church. I rediscover the presence of Jesus. The power given from on high. Not just disconnected, but through his body. When I reconnect my part to the rest of the body, the life flows through the veins. We don't want to be dismembered. When you dismember a body, what happens to it? Does it bring life? When you chop bits of your body off, does it bring life? No, of course not. It brings death. Why on earth would we ever do that to ourselves? Dismember ourselves from the body of Jesus. We want that life to be flowing through. He's the head and we are the parts. And when we're connected and grafted in, it says about that, doesn't it? About vines. When we're grafted in, the life comes. The life comes. So we're to graft ourselves into the true vine. Jesus' body to receive his life. And the, the reason this spirit is entrusted isn't so that we can get the funny feelings, isn't so we can like, plug ourselves into a grid, like I said that happened to me, feel his power and have a shake and rattle and roll, but actually, it's so that we can be his witnesses. So that word, I won't expand on that much more, but Jesus has done something. If you're a disciple here this morning, Jesus has done something in your life that you have seen, you have witnessed it. You can literally tell that story to anyone, and they can argue with you, but you know it's true. Because it's your life. It happened to you. Those experiences, those thoughts, those things he's delivered on, those promises that you've treasured in your heart. That's your story. And no one can argue with your story. And I think the one thing that's happened in the church is that we've all gone quiet on our story. We maybe know God's great big story and we might feel confident to maybe share some of that, the forensic gospel. But then there's the very real like, personal relational gospel of what Jesus has done in your life or what he's wanting to do in your life. If you're not a believer this morning and you're like looking in at the church and you're wondering what on earth all this is about, I would encourage you, maybe not straight afterwards when we're not allowed to mix, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? But just to grab hold of someone and say, would you tell me your story? I'd love to know what you have witnessed about Jesus. There's power in that story. That power is in those words. When God speaks, things get created. We see that in Genesis. God speaks into the darkness and our whole creation, this world, you and I are created. There's power in the spoken word particularly when it's revealing Jesus to people who don't know anything about it. And where are we going to be witnesses? Well, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So I hope you've all got your passports. I've got lots of plane tickets. We're up to Jerusalem to go and be witnesses. Because it says here we're going to start in Jerusalem. Uh, we could, If we were literalists and we read that, we could, we could sort of get there, couldn't we? Right? We've all got to get back to Jerusalem. That's what it's all about. I don't think that's the case. What that's saying is, Right where you're at right now, what's your Jerusalem? For these guys, this is written, they were in Jerusalem. So Jesus is basically saying, you're going to be my witnesses here, in the town next door, in this region, and everywhere else. The gospel of Jesus, this amazing news, the spirit of God is for everyone, everywhere, every day. It's not boundary. We don't believe in a parish mentality where we only like work in our postcode or we only work in one town. Like, I'm, I'm really encouraged this morning. We got, we're, we're here from Sittimore. We've got friends with us from Tenterden, friends with us from Medway. We've got people connecting in from elsewhere, I'm sure. We've got people from other nations. 
people from Cambodia, uh, people from all sorts of places. Um, South Africa, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And so we're very, very thankful for what God's doing. And so Jesus isn't saying, right, you've all got to go to Jerusalem, and then after that you've got to go to Judea. For us it would be your town, your region, so for us that would be Sittingbourne, there may be Swale, there may be Kent, and then maybe beyond that, the UK, and then beyond that, could our hearts even stretch to the nation? So one of the things we talk about as a church is how far can your heart stretch? Have you ever seen the film The Grinch? Um, and it says that his heart was two sizes too small. Um, the Grinch, he lived in a place called Whoville, and it says that the Grinch's heart was two sizes too small, which meant that he couldn't love anyone, couldn't even love himself. That's why he was so grumpy. That's why he had the name The Grinch. Um, the problem in the church is maybe some of our hearts are two sizes too small. What Jesus wants us to do is not just have enough love for ourselves, that we would pray for ourselves, but actually that we would maybe pray for our families, that we would love our families, that we could our hearts stretch another size to our neighbours, maybe to our street, maybe to our workplace, maybe to our town, maybe the region, maybe the nations. And that's what Jesus is saying. How far can your heart stretch? If you're not praying for yourself, you're not practicing good self-care. Jesus has given you an amazing gift, his Holy Spirit, his power to cover and anoint not only your own life, but the lives of everyone you know. Praying for your friendship networks, praying for the people that you work with, praying for your enemies. Wow. That's, that's radical. That's countercultural stuff, isn't it? Praying for your enemies, that they would know the grace of God. And so this is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to open ourselves up that we would receive his spirit. We would receive the gift. I don't know if you've ever had someone try and give you a gift and you've rejected it. Someone maybe tries to buy you a coffee. I try and do this a lot because I always like to be the one that's doing the buying. So if, if you want to buy me a coffee, um, you might find that we'll get into it. No, I'll, I'll get it. No, you get it. And then it's a, then a battle of wills, isn't it? Who's going to come out to be the generous one? I think it's a great gift to like, be trying to be generous and bless people. And so and I love it when people want to do that back to me. It's an amazing thing. And so when someone tries to give you a gift, Jesus wants to give you a gift. The thing is, don't reject it, is to receive it. You can't have dear Jesus. So just say, Jesus, thank you. I want everything that you've got for me. I don't want to live a half-filled Christian life. I want the whole lot. The Christian life isn't a package holiday. You don't bowl on extra bits. You get it all, um, but you need to want it. You need to sign up to it. You need to receive it. Like you would receive a gift at Christmas. I'm like this. Give me all the gifts. I want all the gifts. And they're, they're like, Our family's great. The kids are wonderful. Give him the gifts. Jesus wants to entrust to you his spirit. That you'd be open to receiving all that he's got for you. And that it would embolden you to be his witness. That what he's done and what he's doing in your life, you would share with others. And if you can't see what Jesus is doing in your life, then you need his spirit. You need, you need his spirit to help you, to overcome, to persevere, to press on. You need to reconnect to, to God's people. If you're watching this from a live stream and you're from another area or another town, I would encourage you to try and find a local church. It's great that you're connecting with us over the internet, but there's nothing like this. There's nothing like being amongst God's people physically, loving and praying with one another, meeting up, sharing coffee with one another, going shopping together, lending your lawnmower to one another when your kids cut through the cable, whatever it might look like. We're meant to be together in community. And ultimately, this amazing story of what Jesus is doing amongst his people is for all nations. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to take communion now at this end, and we're going to pray for one another on tables. We can do that. Um, if I could encourage you not to lay hands on one another, that would be great, just because we're not allowed to 
you know, like that COVID thing and all that.